Good afternoon. This is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you on the 12th of October, 2020. Happy Columbus Day. On this day, we're going to be discussing, of course, senescence as it relates to human aging. And we're going to have a new character. Well, actually one that we've introduced last time. But this time it's really going to intrude into our lecture full time. And that is going to be the sirtuins. Now, remember the sirtuins are deacetylase enzymes. At least that's how they were first described in the biochemical literature. We'll see that many of them are indeed. And in fact, I've talked about the sirtuins in great detail a couple months ago in a totally different set of lectures. Um, that is, they are deacetylases. But they do something a little bit more beyond the scope of that otherwise also very important enzymatic reaction. Because deacetylation, for example, of a histone in the chromatin complex will generate heterochromatin, which will tend to decrease global gene expression, which we've been talking about. But sirtuins also deacetylate of a lot of other proteins, not just histones. And when they remove that acetate from uh, enzymes that are otherwise involved in metabolic pathways, they can alter those metabolic pathways greatly because it's nothing more than removal of a covalent modification. And because acetate was used to do that covalent modification, and you know that acetyl-CoA is a central metabolite in all of metabolism, then you might get an understanding that using acetate, and indeed acetuins also are involved in NAD metabolism, that is nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide metabolism, those are central core players in bioenergetics. Uh, and also, of course, uh, ultimately then in biosynthesis and degradation, autophagy included. And because of that, the, the, just the sirtuin activity alone puts them front and center as major players in controlling or being involved in the control of metabolism. So they're really important enzymes. So again, 12th of October, happy uh, Columbus Day, uh, especially to all of uh, you that have uh, Italian family background like I do. And so let's get started. I told you last time that melatonin, now remember that this is a uh, byproduct of serotonin metabolism. And serotonin is synthesized from the essential amino acid L-tryptophan, which comes from the chemic acid pathway in, for example, plants. Um, I told you that melatonin decreases over time during aging of humans, and so does at least one sirtuin isoform, sirtuin 1. And they seem to both decline in a similar manner. And the, the quicker the decline would seem to be associated with some uh, very typical diseases of the aging, such as Alzheimer's disease. So we went through that last time. We talked about the clock genes and how melatonin controls uh, sleep cycle, and our sirtuin may have been involved in that. So I'm not going to go into any more detail except just to remind you that melatonin um, is part of the, when it declines, it's part of the normal uh, CNS aging process. And if, if melatonin is increased, at least in some animal models, it seems to be associated with healthy longevity particularly in the rat, you recall. 
And then when it declines, you get more of a neuropathological aging. And as I told you, one of the key players there was the uh, AD Alzheimer's disease. I told you that melatonin was involved in circadian rhythms, autophagy, uh, energy metabolism, like I was just saying, and also a lot of epigenetic phenomena, as you might guess, because it's associated with sirtuins, and sirtuins are associated with deacetylation of uh, histones, which are part of chromatin remodeling and epigenetic architecture um, beyond that. Okay, so the effects of melatonin on the immune system, as we've been saying, can be either pro or anti-inflammatory, typically with a valence towards immune stimulation. But in other set settings, in fact, melatonin can be immunosuppressive. The influence of melatonin on the sirtuin-1 expression revealed effects that would look like contrarian regulation. And that was evident between tumor and non-tumor cells. So while being strongly suppressive in cancer, melatonin mainly stimulated sirtuin-1 in non-transformed cells, especially in the context of non-tumorigenic aging. However, I told you that SIRT1 expression is distinct from its biological activity. SIRT2N activities are not primarily determined by their protein levels, actually, unlike a lot of enzymes, right? That is the total content of the sirt in terms of um, how many molecules of the enzyme are available. It seems like sirt is more controlled by the level of NAD, which is an important cofactor in the reaction. So NAD concentration really matters, and that depends, at least um, most proximally, on an enzyme called nicotinamide phosphoribosyl transferase, or NAMPT. So that means in order for sirtuins to work, that NAMPT enzyme has to be active to replenish NAD, okay? And you know that NAD is just the oxidized form of NADH, which is central in metabolism, right? as a redox. So the contrast between SIRT1 expression and its activity has become evident in study when they looked at the BRCA1 gene, that's the breast cancer 1 early onset gene, in ovarian cancer when suppression of BRCA1 reduced SIRT1 expression but increased NAD concentration and therefore overall Okay, <laughs> increased SIRT1 activity. So indeed, somewhat paradoxically, but within common endocrinological research, BRCA1 overexpression, upregulated SIRT1 expression, decreased NAD plus levels, and ultimately, guess what? SIRT1 activity. Right? So you have to keep in mind that it's not simply at the level of uh, uh, transcription or even translation of a protein that's involved in central order, let's say, in a senescent process or aging process. It can have a lot to do with cofactors uh, and also uh, any number of metabolic pathways that feed into that cofactor biosynthesis and degradation. So a paper that I'd like you to, uh, to make a comment on is the National Journal of Molecular Science published, uh, let's see, in 2019, March of that year. The volume on that is 20, and the first page number on it is 1223. 
and that paper basically is what it's informing these uh, some of these uh, conversations I'm giving you right now, this lecture. And the title of the paper tells you everything, Aging, Melatonin, and the Pro and Anti-Inflammatory Networks. It's a good paper for you to get a handle on and take a look at if you have the chance. So let's blow this up a little bit. Tell you a little bit about biosynthesis of NAD. So you can start with nicotinamide. And using that enzyme I just mentioned to you, NAMPT, you can make nicotinamide mononucleotide, okay, or NMN. Now, the other reactant there besides nicotinamide, of course, is phosphorylribosylpyrophosphate, which, as you might recall, can be synthesized um, subsequent to the oxidative pentose phosphate shunt, right, because of the ribosugar. So um, the, the reaction then takes PRPP and nicotinamide, uh, gen, uh, it's driven by PPI, and then 2PI uh, hydrolysis to the hydrolysis to 2PI, make NMN. Then the next reaction to make NAD, the, the final reaction, is nicotinamide mononucleotide adenyl transferase. This is where you add the other nucleotide components, a dinucleotide. And that's taking an entire mole of ATP and just blowing it down to AMP, which is now going to be used to form NAD. That's the reaction. So you have NMN plus ATP goes to PPI plus NAD plus. Okay. All right. So that's how that reaction works. So that's the fundamentals of NAD biosynthesis from nicotinamide and from using either phosphorylbacil pyrophosphate initially and then ATP secondarily to go through this pathway. Okay. Now, a paper that was published, uh, let's see, back in, uh, it was PLOS One. It looks like it was published in uh, 2015. And it's called Metabolic Profiling Alternative NAD Biosynthetic Routes in Mouse Tissues. Okay. Let me tell you about this paper. You can understand NAD synthesis from an amidation route or a deamidation route. Let's go amidation route first. So you've got basically, um, you start off with nicotinamide riboside, or NR. There's a kinase reaction where you make nicotinamide mononucleotide, okay? You can also make NMN, that's the mononucleotide, directly from um, that reaction I just told you about, the NAMPRT reaction where you utilize PRPP, and you drive it into uh, PPI, and then 2PI. Remember that reaction, right? So either way, you make nicotinamide uh, mononucleotide. Then you carry out that transferase reaction when you get the entire adenosyl group to make NAD. Okay. Now, you can also start directly from tryptophan. This would be in the diet in humans. There's an entire kinurine pathway that I know I talked to you about at great length. Um, oh, a couple months ago. But the final product there that we want to talk about is quinolinic acid. Then there is a phosphorylbacil transferase enzyme that reacts with quinolinic acid driven by carbon dioxide, the evolution in PPI to 2PI. And you make then nicotinate mononucleotide. And then you run it through the NMNAT enzyme, the same enzyme where you uh, incorporate an entire uh, molecule of AMP, right? And you make 
nicotinate adenine dinucleotide or NAD, right? And then finally you make NAD um, by utilizing ATP and glutamine to make glutamate AMP and PPI. And that drives the synthesis, uh, NAD synthase to NAD. Okay, so that would be. So there's the, that, that kinurene pathway is a deamidation pathway, whereas the one starting with NR, um, remember that's nicotinamide riboside, that is an amidation route. So either way you get to NAD synthesis. Okay, so see how complicated it is just to get to NAD. So every one of those reactions I'm telling you about, right, one of those transferases and uh, kinase, and um, the, the ones from quinolinic acid driving car, uh, decarboxylation reactions and whatnot. All of those reactions are under allosteric control because NAD is such an important and vital um, nucleotide in central metabolism. And here we're only talking about synthesis of NAD for sirtuin uh, activity. We haven't quite gotten there yet. So, SIRT1 expression is not generally known to be decreased in the course of aging, but rather it's sometimes been shown to increase. However, SIRT1 activity does become reduced because of the lower net accumulation, synthesis, and utilization of NAD+. However, this doesn't mean that positive correlations between SIRT1 expression and activity are generally excluded in the context of aging, because how could they be? Because you still need certain one protein at the high enough concentration to be able to be carrying out the reactions, just in terms of thermodynamics and kinetics, right? So in a senescence-accelerated mouse model called SAMP8, CERT1 expression was found to be reduced relative to the widely isogenic control strain, which is called SAMR1, okay? So senescence accelerated mice, one expression was found to be reduced. And yet, okay, and so you see that senescence is accelerated there. How, moreover, a number of studies have shown that effects of melatonin that increase CERT1 expression, we talked about these last time, it's at the transcriptional level, were actually suppressed by CERT2 inhibitors such as certinol or that compound I told you about, EX527. So what you, what you get from all of that is mandatory requirements are to either determine, in order to be able to know what's going on metabolically with sirtuin activity, you have to determine sirtuin activity and NAD concentration, right? Or at least to test the effects of sirtuin inhibitors because that'll tell you whether or not it's up NAD it's active. See, that was part of the conundrum last time. Why is activity and expression separated? Because of the level of NAD. And so if you use a sirtuin inhibitor, what are you really measuring is biological activity, not simply enzyme con content, right? So, but nevertheless, using these sirtuin inhibitors, I think is indirect and in many ways an imprecise method. So remember that both melatonin secretion and sirtuin activity do follow a circadian rhythm. Both of them are under circadian control, exhibit cycles of high amplitudes and low. Moreover, either of them can influence the actual circadian oscillators, like the purr genes. 
apart from its known chronobiotic actions via the suprachiasmatic nucleus, melatonin also influences a lot of peripheral oscillators. oscillators excuse me. So CERT1 has been identified as an accessory oscillator component in those systems, both the peripheral and the central one, the suprachiasmatic nucleus. And that increases circadian amplitude of both the central and peripheral clocks. At least one of the mechanisms described is a relevance for antagonizing age-related decrease in the amplitude of the suprachiasmatic nucleus output. An additional aspect concerns the conclusion that CERT1 might be acting as a partial mediator of the melatonin effect in all the other systems we've described, such as autophagy. Finally, it seems important to remain aware of the fact that different phases of increases and decreases observed within the circadian cycle can be inflicted by stress. Basic knowledge of chronobiology that a specific treatment applied in different phases leads to different and sometimes opposing effects on whether or not you are triggering those responses at some specific position of the circadian cycle. So in the so this is important because it tells you that melatonin CERT1, if only look at those two parameters, there are a lot of other genes and gene products and metabolites that are involved, but just looking at those two, which seem to be well um, involved in the parenting of the oscillator, right? In, in the controlling of the oscillator at those early stages of induction, that yet even that, that their concentration, their activity is also under another level of control because it depends on the state of the oscillator, whether or not you have a positive or a negative effect in driving through that oscillation circadian rhythm. Okay. So in the context of aging, again, additional difficulty results in the fact that non-identical changes are observed between populations of the oscillators within the body. So in a senescent mammal, for example, some oscillators exhibit phase changes, others reduced amplitudes in the extreme, down even to an arrhythmicity, whereas others remain unaffected. Collectively, then, all the variables I'm telling you about this is, again, connected to senescence and aging in humans, oppose really any expectation of finding an exclusive unidirectional relationship by using melatonin or even looking at the level of melatonin, uh, inducing sirtuin uh, overexpression with melatonin or inhibiting sirtuin activity with sirtuin uh, activity inhibitors, or any other modulators of circadian rhythms, because there's too many variables that are involved that have not yet been worked out. That doesn't say someday we can't, but it, it does definitely point to the fact that manipulation of something like melatonin in the diet does not seem to be a clear um, road to hoe for altering the aging process. If I'm telling you that it alters the synchronicity and rhythmicity of the circadian clock, which we know is associated with aging. It's a readout of aging, right? The paper published in Circulation Research in 2018 
I'm sorry there's a lot of papers here, but I'm not sorry. I'm trying to give you a full understanding here. Circulation Research 2018, published in September of that year, volume 123, page 868, told me the following. The eukaryotic lifespan might be associated with the elevated expression of sirtuins, but this was in yeast. Okay, some more discussion of yeast in a moment. That was published way back in the 1990s. So here, the sirtuin 2 isoform, remember sir stands for, stands for silent information regulator, right? That's what the SIR stands for. Uh, actually was shown to increase the replicative lifespan of yeast when it was enhanced in, in expression. So SIR2 actually silences something. What does it silence? It silences the transcription at the HM mating type loci in juvenile yeast. But actually it relocalizes to ribosomal DNA as cells age to prevent DNA damage that contributes to the yeast aging. Now, how could sirtuin uh, prevent DNA damage? Well, a couple of ways. One is when you get the condensation of the DNA, there's less ability for reactive oxygen to be synthesized and for oxygenation and oxidation reactions to destroy DNA. And the other is DNA damage repair is associated with uh, ADP ribose. And ADP ribose is actually going to be an end product of the sirtuin reaction as it metabolizes the NAD to acetyl ADP ribose and then ultimately ADP ribose. That's correct. See, this is authentic biochemistry. This isn't um, your grandfather's, uh, you know, let me think, Biochem 380. This is Biochem 680 or 720. Those are the ones I used to teach when I was teaching at the university. Graduate biochemistry. So upregulating the expression of SIR2 reduces DNA damage and increases the lifespan of yeast. That's been shown in yeast. After thorough characterization, SIR2 and 2 was shown to have, this is important, histone deacetylase activity. And we also know that that requires NAD. Mammalian sirtuins, there are at least seven isoforms so far characterized, also seem to maybe have beneficial roles in aging and longevity and stress responses, where sirtuins may actually attenuate not so much the um, systems that were studied in yeast, because yeast is a totally different, obviously, meiotic uh, process, making spores, but Sirtuins may actually be associated with attenuating age-related disease from etiologic agents and from non-etiologic agents, such as in pathophysiology. So, again, mammalian sirtuins are NAD-dependent, deacetylases, but they are also deacylases. So they have a huge range of roles in transcriptional regulation, energy metabolism, energy meta metabolism modulation, cell survival, whether or not apoto apoptosis, necrotosis, ferrotosis, or senescence or necrosis or autophagy, DNA repair, which I just gave you a glimpse of, the inflammatory response, which we've been talking on and off about for the last two weeks. And as I just, I think, covered, 
reasonably succinctly the circadian rhythm regulation. A CERT-1 is usually found subcellularly in the nucleus, but it's also found in the cytosol. And along with histone deacetylation for CERT-1, it also seems to modulate transcription factors, such as P53 in the cell cycle. Uh, nuclear factor kappa light chain enhancer of activated B cells, or NF-kappa-B. FOXOs, and even peroxisome proliferator activated receptor gamma coactivator 1-alpha, which is PGC1-alpha. That's a very important transcription factor in lipid metabolism. Plus DNA repair proteins, as I just said, uh, the polyADP ribose system, also known as PARP1, and the enzyme there for the DNA repair is called polyADP ribose polymerase 1, that's PARP1. And of course, in cancer research, are inhibitors generated to inhibit DNA repair to cause tumor cells to die because if they don't get enough DNA repair, then the whole uh, DNA replication process will end and those tumor cells will die. So CERT2 is a cytosolic um, isoform. CERT3, 4, and 5 are located in the mitochondria, and they all have roles in oxidative stress and in more lipid metabolism, particularly glycerolipid and stringolipid metabolism. Okay. So this is really, and, and even and even in canonical beta-oxidation of fatty acids, or energy production, and in ketogenesis, too, I should mention. So two and six and seven are always nuclear, and they tend to have a role more in chromatin remodeling, therefore gene expression and DNA repair. So two ones also conduct deacetylation, of course, but, they, but depending on the isoform, they can demalinate, desuccinylate, and they can also do mono-ADP ribosylation. Those are all involved in what can be called deacylations. However, looked in the literature, and I couldn't find where sirtuins seem to deacylate thioesters, but I'm still looking, and maybe we will, we will find examples of them. Okay. So certain one can be flipped on with activating compounds. So those are called stacks. Okay, so no big deal there. So two inactivating compounds. And one of them, oh my gosh, is the stilbene phenolic compound known as resveratrol. Okay, and that was when resveratrol was first described as a lifespan extending polyphenol compound you find in certain plant organs, right? And people say you can find very low levels of it in certain kinds of wines. So low, actually, that it would never really pay off to drink wine to get the resveratrol concentration you're looking for there. But there, but that is a very important discussion, resveratrol, because it does seem to be controlling uh, and activating CERT1. So stacks those compounds like resveratrol, act as allosteric activators of CERT1. They bind to the stack binding domain in the end terminus of the enzyme. And they, they, they enter there via what's known as bend at the elbow model of insertion. And what that does is an induced fit, which increases the binding affinity of actually the substrate that's going to become deacetylated. So not only does it activate the CERT1, it enhances the catalysis. Resveratrol then works on CERT1, CERT3, and CERT5. Okay, so 
I think we've done enough uh, inclusion of sirtuins as an introduction now for aging. So we're going to end this lecture. The next time around, I will go back and remind you of resveratrol at the level of immune response, particularly CD4 positive T lymphocytes. We talked a lot about those uh, early summer and actually late spring. And also during my autoimmune lectures way back going from January to March. Um, but I won't talk to all that detail. I, I will make everything fit together in this senescent aging immune response um, sequence of lectures, which is where we're at, and which I want to obviously um, continue on here because we're really getting into the details here. This is where you want to be. Um, and that's what I do with authentic biochemistry. I'm giving you the entire architectonic of what players are involved and what we know in, in legitimate detail so that you're able to then comprehend at the end of these series of lectures what we know about the biochemistry, physiology, and the pathobiochemistry of the aging system relative either to um, diseases that can be caused internally or diseases associated with pathogens and ultimately come up with a better theory on aging in humans and mammals in general. This is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry on the beautiful 12th of October, 2020. And I'm saying bye for now. <laughs>